Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our members of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position along with your favorite beverage to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine the show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion, we want to say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Matt S., Cindy W., Brent S., and Todd A. We've got new guests on the show today, uh, a new guest and a returning guest. We have Mr. John Wilton with us and Mr. Derek Iwanaka of B-Metals Corp. John is the company president and CEO, and Derek is the vice president in investor relations and corporate development. B-Metals is advancing the core South Mountain development project in Idaho, United States, that contains a number of metals, as well as exploration stage projects in Zambia and Japan. B-Metals is a portfolio holding at Smith Weekly Research. The company is listed on the Toronto Venture Exchange under the symbol BMET and also on the US OTC markets under the symbol BMTLF. Gentlemen, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks very much. Thanks for the invitation. Andrew, Andrew, thanks for having me back. Well, let's start out here. I'd like to get each of your guys' views, and maybe we'll start with John here. Give us your view here on the overall natural resource market at this point, and specifically speak to the metals that the company is focused on. John, take it away. Yeah, no, thanks for that. I mean, uh, we've got a, a sort of a broad portfolio in B Metals, as you just mentioned. So we're covering um, gold exploration now. We have exposure to precious metals through our South Mountain project in any event, which has a significant gold and silver credit to that base metal mineralization. And obviously that South Mountain project has also got a component of copper as it's a true polymetallic. And we have the copper focused exploration out in uh, in Zambia looking for extensions to the um, very prolific uh, Zambian copper belt. In, in terms of pricings at the moment, I think, um, you know, there's been obviously a bit of a retracing in um, in prices in the in the last week or 10 days or so. But I think in the um, sort of um, medium term and longer term, gold and base metals have probably got a, a role to play. Specifically, gold is a, from a safe haven and, and store of value. A lot of um, jurisdictions and governments, um, you know, printing a lot of cash um, through stimulus to probably get us out of the uh, the COVID situation uh, on infrastructure projects. And that really also links into um, increased demand for um, for base metals, specifically copper. And I think something that's probably overlooked is the role of, um, of copper, for example, in the sort of whole green energy space. You know, there's a lot of airtime given to um, battery metals such as uh, lithium and cobalt. But at the end of the day, uh, copper's uh, consumption in all those uh, green energy uh, alternatives is, is going to be significant. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, yeah, it's a little of a shame that uh, the Fed came out and was a little hawkish and, and has pulled back the gold price, but I think that's pretty short term. And I mean, I don't think there's a way to see how inflation is not going to creep in here. And, and that should be good for gold, at least historically it has been. And then, as, as John mentioned, I mean, if if the countries are trying to uh, recover from this the COVID pandemic uh, economic, uh, I guess, destruction is done, uh, you have to spend at least some of your money on infrastructure. And, and that can only be 
good for copper and zinc and, and other base metals as well. So I think we're, we're in the right metals um, at the moment. Back to John's comment on the copper component, that's the feeder to the rest of this key component. And I would also just add too that this whole climate change approach and this, you know, green revolution, electric vehicle, just basically electrification trends across the board are also backed heavily. If, if you're going to eventually eliminate fossil fuels from energy sources, that also uranium is one of those cornerstones to the energy market. So uranium and copper go very well together where the rest of this stuff really feeds off of that. You're not going to be able to mine your Bitcoin without nuclear power. It's very important that uh, copper be a, a huge play in this and that uranium is a growing form of energy as we transition off of these inferior forms of energy. So, well, John, you're new to the program and probably to some of our audience as well. Why don't you just cover your background and experience for us? So I'm a, a geologist uh, by training, um, over 30 years experience now in the um mineral uh, exploration, um, development, and, um, and mining business. Uh, I started my career in, um, in uh, South Africa, working for a, um, one of the large South African uh, mining companies. And, and really my interaction with the, with the current board of directors came around in, that, uh, in the late 90s. Um, I was a principal member of a team that discovered what's now the uh, Ochocotto gold mine in, uh, in northern Namibia. Uh, a discovery, a grassroots discovery that we made um, from um, early geophysical surveys, uh, took that right through to the drill discovery with about uh, 1.82 million ounces in in resource. So that I um, I worked for a um, for a company called uh, Antofagasta PLC, the large Chilean copper producer, uh, running exploration and new business um, throughout throughout Africa. Um, and then was given this uh, exciting opportunity about three, three and a half years ago now to, um, to head up uh, B metals, um, you know, uh, initially looking for base metals. And now we've expanded to include uh, gold and precious metals into our portfolio. Um, really, a really exciting opportunity. And uh, we've made uh, good progress on that in the last uh, in the last three and a half years or so. John, that sounds good. I appreciate you covering some of the background there. I think it's important to point out for you specifically in your, your history with the B-Suite group, if you will. Okay, so maybe just a quick status update on the company, and then Derek, I'll ask you in a moment about share structure. Yeah, sure. So so where we are at the moment, you know, we're, we're developing a, a portfolio of assets, which are both exploration and uh, development in nature. They sort of, uh, we've got sort of a, a global reach, if you want to call it, um, to do it chronologically, we, we started the company with one of my former Antofagasta exploration properties in uh, northwestern Zambia, where we're really exploring there for world-class uh, copper deposits on extensions um, to the Zambian copper belt underneath cover units of the what's called the Kalahari Sand uh, Desert, basically. That's a similar overall um, you know, principle to how we found that gold deposit in Namibia that was concealed by a uh, concrete cover unit. What that means is there was no outcropping mineralization that we could work from. We had to use geophysics, follow up shallow drilling and then core drilling to, um, to really find that gold deposit. And that's what we're applying to the uh, Zambian copper belt. Um, following that, we wanted to get ourselves a more advanced asset into the, uh, into the company. And after much searching, we really found a really very interesting deposit in uh, southwestern Idaho called the South Mountain Project. 
Uh, we built a relationship with the um, with the vendors and, and optionees of that property, Thunder Mountain Gold, uh, a well-established um, Idahoan-based uh, team. Um, and that's a high-grade zinc, gold, silver, copper, polymetallic deposit um, that we're really excited about. It was a small pass producer. There's underground development, and we've been exploring that project by doubling the resource base recently um, through underground drilling. So we're really encouraged about that. And at the moment, we're looking to advance a PEA study that should be completed in uh, September this year. Um, earlier this year, um, we had another exciting opportunity that led to us acquiring five high-quality um, gold exploration properties in Japan. Quite an exotic destination. And what really drew us there, as with all our projects, was really driven by you know, geology, prospectivity, and opportunity. And with our company called Kazan Gold in Japan, we're really looking to explore some real high quality gold projects that have the potential to deliver um, high grade underground gold mines, you know, with good exploration success. Good pipeline coming here, South Mountain development stage at this point, which I think is important. And I want to talk about that in a moment. But Derek, how about the share structure here? You know, you and I I don't think you've been on the program for at least a year and a half, if I remember, but uh, can you just update us on the current share structure here, the uh, cash position, the shares out, and then also because major holders are important here, including recent major holders coming into the roster. Sure. So at the moment, we have about 177 million shares outstanding, and that includes all the shares um, that were issued for this Kronk transaction. That was the recent acquisition of the gold properties in Japan. Uh, in addition to that, we have about 16 million options, and I'd say the the average strike price on those are about uh, 28 cents or close to 30 cents. Uh, very few warrants. There's just about a million warrants left that are outstanding. And the current cash position at the end of April was about $11 million, and we haven't really spent too much since then. Uh, market cap, I'd say we're kind of fluctuating between about 60 and $70 million. What's pretty key for us, I think, is the, the share roster. Certainly uh, having Clive Johnson and some of the B2 uh, executives uh, are, are founders of our company, but also major shareholders as well as John and I. So everybody has a stake in, in what we're doing. And Clive, John, myself, we, we've all purchased shares in the open market recently as well. So we do put our money where our mouths are. Uh, what we've been really working on lately is getting more institutional investors into the, the name. And I'd say just in the last couple months, we've started to, to get some traction with some of the, the key shareholders of, of particular with key shareholders of B2 Gold. So that can only be positive. Um, the, the, the relationship with B2 has really grown a lot stronger since this acquisition in Japan. And also because B2 Gold participated in uh, the pr a private placement a couple months ago where they took down uh, $7.5 million and, uh, at a price of $0.44 cents a share, which is currently higher than where we are right now. So pretty attractive level to be getting uh, stock if you can get into the market right now. We don't trade typically a huge amount of volume, so probably around 150,000 shares a day. Um, part of the reason is because we have pretty tight structure, a lot of uh, insider ownership as well as friends and family and now institutions. You don't see a lot of selling, um, albeit there has been an exception to that rule um, in the last couple of weeks. I think with the gold price um, being suppressed, 
we have seen a couple, I guess you can call them aggressive sellers have stepped into the market, but we, we seem to be mopping that up. So now it's, it's a pretty attractive level considering what we've accomplished in the last two and a half years, three years, and uh, where our share price is at currently. How far do you see the cash lasting out there? When do you guys would expect to need to raise capital here? Or if, if you had some poor market conditions here, uh, could you guys see that cash last through the end of the year? No problem. Yeah, we're pretty well cashed up at the moment. So it kind of depends on where the South Mountain uh, project goes. So we are supposed to be completing a PEA for that project in September. Assuming that uh, we have to do additional drilling or do some additional work for the feasibility study, um, that would probably require some additional funds. And I don't know how much that will be at the moment. But if we were just to continue onwards with exploration in Japan, exploration in Zambia, and completing the PEA in South, uh, at South Mountain, we should have sufficient funds to take us to around this time next year. Okay. Well, before we get to South Mountain, Idaho here, let's go ahead and move back to Japan for a moment. Why don't you just cover the Japan projects here? Talk about what the primary focus is, and maybe John can take this, the perspectivity of this particular set of projects in Japan, or if there's you know one project in particular you guys are going to focus on. Yeah, sure. Let's um, do that with pleasure. So what really grabbed our attention here on the, uh, on the Japan acquisition of these properties is is basically, as I said earlier, we're you know we're driven by geology and, and prospectivity um, primarily. You know the trains in Japan are have known to deliver high-grade gold mines. The sort of flagship of the Japanese gold sector is really the Hishikari mine, which is mined by Sumitomo Metal and Mining, and that's one of the world's highest-grade uh, gold deposits. Been been running for many decades. You know we're looking at um, probably since inception a deposit in excess of eight million ounces running at head grades of between 30 to 40 grams per tonne gold. So a very valuable project and uh, mining operation. And the similar similar geology uh, to Hishikari is developed in, in a number of areas um, within Japan, both down on Kushu itself, where Hishikari is located, and uh, up on Akaidu in uh, the northeastern part of Japan. That's supported really by the fact that there's only really three companies, including ourselves, exploring in Japan uh, for gold at this time. One of those is uh, Irvin Resources that has Newmont as, um, as a significant shareholder uh, and backer. The other one is Japan Gold, who have um, an exploration alliance with, with Barrick. Um, so that gives you an idea of the pedigree with B2 Gold as a 19% um, shareholder in the company and um, you know, a very strong technical and financial supporter. So that's really what, what drove us, the, the interest in here. And of the five properties, the more advanced project we call Kato up on uh, Akaidu, mainly because we're drilling, uh, we're working from some historical drill intersections there um, when exploration was carried out by the Japanese in the 1990s. Some really interesting high-grade gold mineralization with the associated um, text, bright textured uh, alteration uh, and geological setting. Um, and one of our cornerstone um, advisors, um, Dr. Richard Salito, based, based in the UK here in London, you know, he was very much involved with that exploration and is really a world authority on this, day, this style of gold mineralization, which is known as um, you know, um, low sulfidation epithermal gold deposits. 
similar to the geological processes you see in uh, Yellowstone uh, Park in the US uh, and also the style of gold mineralization you get throughout uh, Nevada. So really good pedigree in a style of mineralization that's known to produce um, a lot of ounces of gold and generally at the higher end uh, grade profile of world production. John, I appreciate that. You know, come back to the deal for a moment and Derek, chime in where you want to here, but talk about the deal guys as far as, you know, the vendor, why this was sold now, why do you guys think you got a good deal? So this exploration was being um, was being run th through a private uh, company called uh, Kronk, which is Ontario listed, that wholly owns a local uh, Japanese registered company called uh, Kazan Resources. And B2 were, were funding that um, exploration in the, um, in the last few years. Now, by bringing that project into, um, into B Metals, that's probably given us uh, more focus on that exploration. It also has created a uh, liquidity event for the original um, Kronk investors. Um, and a good, good project for us, again, a lot of that comes down to the pedigree of the geological terrain. If you just look at the uh, backing of the, um, of the other companies exploring in Japan at this point in time, as I, as I mentioned earlier, and that was a sort of a win-win situation for both the uh, private investors in, uh, in Kronk for B2 Gold and for, for B Metals. Derek, what's your thoughts on, John mentioned Newmont and Barrick, you know, coming in with Japan Gold and Irving Resources. Not to do too much peer comparison here, but, you know, why do you guys think your assets are better? And would you guys be amenable to another partner? I mean, you've already got a partner in B2 Gold, but would you guys be amenable to another major or upper mid-tier partner? Well, the, the, the partner of choice for us is certainly going to be B2 Gold since we already have the relationship. And part of why we were able to get into this uh, transaction was because they did start to do some expiration. That expiration at the time looked like it wasn't going to yield a, a multi-million ounce deposit. So something like for B2 scale, they're looking for probably something that's 2 million ounce plus of a resource, which... You know, for, for B metals, we would be very happy to find a million ounce deposit at the moment. And if, if it became bigger and turned out to be a two, three or four million ounce deposit, then I think that uh, B2 Gold would, would certainly be the logical buyer or joint venture partner uh, for us, especially. So, yeah, I mean, I think that uh, I, I don't know if we're saying our, our projects are necessarily better than Japan Gold's or Irving's, but we're, our, our team got in there around a similar time, they were able to stake up some good properties. And maybe what's different between us and per perhaps them would be that we picked our projects specifically with potential to, to get them into production. So I don't know if Japan Gold actually intends to, to build a mine, but in our case, that is something that we would like to do is, is actually to get into production. Certainly, and your guys' operational experience would certainly back what you said there. And I think John gave us a little bit of an indicator of what type of profile, what type of grade, what type of setup that he would like to see, which if that could happen, that's significant. But Derek, maybe let's come back here because you know this pretty well. How about your experience and maybe the, the overall company's experience in regards to what your view is on mineral exploration and development in Japan? Because I think many investors, at least the North America side of things, tend to have a view that Japan can be difficult with regards to natural resource development. What's your thoughts? 
Yeah, I would say Japan has certainly been overlooked as a prime destination. I mean, when, when people think of Japan, they probably think of, you know, sushi and, and noodles and, and Mount Fuji and that type of thing. You don't normally think of it as being a, a geological hotbed. But I mean, if you look at Japan, I mean, it's along the ring, the ring of fire. Um, and uh, it has one of the highest operating gold mines in the world there. So it, I think it does get overlooked. And um, that's that's part of probably why uh, our, our specifically our technical team really saw that there was a advantage by getting into Japan, especially early when the borders essentially opened up in about 2012 and they started to let in foreigners. Um, the Kronk team, which is, is basically led by, by the B2 Gold um, technical team, they were early to get into Japan and stake up some of these properties. And some of them are actually past producing mines or very close to past producing mines. So the potential to get them into production again or get them into new, new production is relatively good, um, certainly better than most parts of Japan. I mean, if you think of Japan as being a very highly populated area, it is. Um, but where we are specifically, which are relatively remote, especially for Japan, I would call Hokkaido especially quite remote. And the parts of Kyushu that we're in are also relatively remote. So you're, you're not in highly densely or densely populated areas of Japan, and they're very close to past producing mines. So you have that really good opportunity to uh, potentially find a new one. Derek, uh, just your thoughts real quick. Give us maybe a comparative. Is Japan easier to deal with? I, I know certainly the, the team has done very well with developing and advancing projects in tougher jurisdictions, but can Japan be compared to like a BC as far as jurisdiction goes, British Columbia? Is it easier than that? How does Japan fall into your understanding and context of what you see as a good jurisdiction versus a more complex red tape jurisdiction? Yeah, I don't even think Japan registers on the Fraser Institute list of, of countries to be in since there are very few uh, companies operating in Japan. So there's not a lot of, I guess, direct comparisons, but I mean, uh, I am of Japanese of heritage. I've lived in Japan. I have a pretty good uh, knowledge base around Japan. It is very structured. It is quite bureaucratic, but if you follow the law and you follow the regulations, almost everything always works out. So in our case, if it's permitting, which is probably going to be the, the major thing that people are worried about, um, if you follow the procedures that are prescribed by the government, uh, there shouldn't be any issues. It may be slow, but you should be able to get it done. So we're pretty confident that when the time comes that we can get things uh, permitted. Very well. I think maybe an important point as well that, that some people overlook is that Japan has got a long history in um, you know, in, in, in gold mining from the past, but also, you know, there's a huge amount of, um, of metals business in Japan through um, smelting operations, both in base and, you know, well, base metal smelting operation, both in copper and uh, zinc, for example. So, you know, it's not an, you know, the, the large Japanese uh, corporates very much involved as metal traders and producers through smelting. So there is that sort of um, that culture of um, metals business in, in Japan as well. Yeah, John, I agree with that. I think that you're correct. Just looking at Japan and their natural resource developments, both in-country domestically and also 
out of country as well. You know, there's a number of groups, whether they're spread into Canada, into Africa, you know, JogMech is, is active in a number of ventures. There's a lot of groups that are involved, as you suggested there. So I think Japan realizes their status as an island nation and being able to take care of their natural resource needs, both at home and abroad. And I think we've seen that with energy too. I think Japan definitely understands their energy situation as well, hence their motivation to work towards, you know, restarting of nuclear reactors since Fukushima as a perfect example of Japan really, while bureaucratic perhaps, really understands their position and needs to uh, advance accordingly. So I think that that is a, a good set of examples. Well, let's move on here. Let's talk about the recently announced drill program at Pangini, Zambia. Um, John, what are the objectives with this program? You know that project really well. Yeah, so where we are here, um, you know, interesting development here was, which was actually unrelated to us getting involved in the uh, gold exploration in, in Japan, was that, as you just mentioned, we, we brought JogMech in as a uh, joint venture partner and co-founder of this uh, project. Um, so we're really proud to bring, um, you know, a group of the uh, international reputation of uh, JogMech in to share some of the risk on this relatively early stage exploration um, in Zambia. What this is all about really is it's following up on some early interesting and exciting drill results that we've got. As I mentioned earlier, geophysical targets, punching first, cheap shallow um, air core holes through that sand cover that gives us bedrock geochemistry and, um, you know, and uh, geology a bit like till sampling uh, in a way. Um, in two areas specifically, we've got some very interesting uh, drill intersections already, the so-called uh, Southwest Prospect and the uh, D2 target um, prospect. You know, we're getting some meaningful width intersections there over five meters in thickness, running at about 0.5% copper. Um, and in certain areas, there's an association of cobalt with that mineralization. Uh, and down at the Southwest Prospect, we're seeing some narrower intersections, but with uh, much higher tenor mineralization. Um, that mineralization is typically uh, chalcopyrites, a very common uh, copper mineral, easy to deal with through uh, standard processing and, and flotation techniques. And it's got a, a, an alteration mineral associated with it called kyanite. And that's a relationship that we see at First Quantum's uh, Sentinel mine, about 150, 130 kilometers to the northeast of us. So really exciting exploration here, uh, exploring under that sand cover. And it's all about, um, you know, the low hanging fruit in a lot of these uh, world-class terrains is probably gone. Now it's a question of being a little cleverer and looking for those concealed deposits under the sand cover, haven't been noticed before because of their concealed nature, but, um, you know, Zambia has produced many tier one type uh, copper deposits and, and mines, you know, in its, uh, in its long history of, uh, of copper mining. John, do you think that there's something there? Talk maybe to what you guys would expect. We've got something here or there's nothing here. And what's that cutoff going to be for management? Is there a comparable? Is there something that you can compare as far as what has been delineated so far? potential profile, what you guys would see as big enough tonnage to, to make this work? So where we are, you know, the, the sort of um, intersections that we've, what we've delivered at the D2 target already, you know, in that sort of um, 0.47 to 0.53 sort of range so far, um, you know, that's the sort of grade, that's the overall grade of, um, of First Quantum Sentinel mine and, um, and Barracks Lamwana mine. 
running at about 0.5. Obviously, those are what we would call relatively, you know, low-grade, uh, big tonnage operations. So what we'd be looking to do is increase on those widths, um, step out along strike. That's what we're busy with at the moment to see if we can extend the footprint of that mineralization under the shallow sand cover, which in the area of the D2 uh, prospect is around about uh, 20 meters in thickness. Um, you know, that would be one type of target, if you will. And then obviously there's the more high grade vein sort of style of mineralization that would be typical of a deposit such as First Quantum's Kansanchi mine, where you're dealing with um, narrower but higher grade uh, veins of chalcopyrite mineralization that come together with a, a lower grade envelope of mineralization. Um, you know, Constantia, a very profitable operation uh, and with a, um, with a gold credit associated with it as well. So those are the sort of pedigree of discovery that you can find in Zambia. And I think, again, a bit like Japan, if you look at your competitors, that, that gives you an indication of the terrain that, uh, that you're working in. You know, and in the case of uh, Zambia, we've got Anglo-American, First Quantum, Rio Tinto, you know, really big, big players who have all identified that the, the geology and the prospectivity of the, of the Zambian copper belt warrants their involvement. So that gives you an indication of the, of the size of the prize. And I've been working on this project since my time with Antofagasta. And, um, you know, it's, it's really encouraging what we're getting there. So, you know, that's why we, we keep, keep going with this, um, with this exploration. John, how about your thoughts just on the Zambia government here? You know, there's been some some challenges with some of the majors in the country. What's your relationship there? You've been there for a while. Um, how comfortable are you guys, you know, working through the government process and making sure that you're on their right side? Yeah, so I've been involved uh, probably more than 15 years now with uh, mineral exploration and development project in Zambia. We've obviously seen you know, a number of governments over that time. Uh, as you're probably aware, elections coming up there in the in the next while. You know, we've we've always had a good positive relate. I've always had a good positive relationship uh, with the Ministry of Mines specifically, which is obviously our first point of contact there. There's a long history, stepping back for you know more than a hundred years of copper exploration and mining in Zambia. So there's an understanding of the of the business. And I can only relay my experience, which has been very similar to what uh, Derek just uh, outlined for Japan. You know, if you go about your business in the correct way, you follow the procedures, you're respectful in Zambia, you, um, you've always got a respectful nature to the uh, local communities and your local staff. I've never come across any, any problems in terms of, um, you know, dealing with um, the Zambian authorities. You know, everyone, I think, is pretty aligned. They see the value in um, new discoveries um, and obviously the, um, you know, the stimulus to the economy that that brings, especially in an area where we are in the northwestern part of Zambia, where there aren't any, um, you know, where Sentinel is the furthest west discovery uh, in the Zambia Copper Belt at this point in time. Very well, John. Looking forward to seeing the results coming out of this program here. And thanks. For, I appreciate how you guys are able to work with the government here. And Derek, Anything further on the pipeline here? You know, you guys have delivered on the Japan assets here. Anything further you guys are looking at a pipeline at this point, or is the focus going to be fixed on what you have now? Uh, immediately, we're, we're still focused on the current portfolio since we already actually have quite a bit to, to work with. 
Uh, I will add that we have been still looking at other gold projects, uh, more advanced stage ones to kind of complement our, our earlier stage assets. So we, we are looking at things. I would say we're not in a huge rush to, to immediately buy a, another project, but I mean, that it could fall in our lap at any time, especially now that we have a, a closer relationship with B2 and they've kind of opened up a new pipeline of, of potential projects to us because if they're exploring somewhere and they find that it may not reach their immediate thresholds, uh, then that could kind of get shopped down to us. So if it's maybe you know lower than 2 million ounce deposit, it could go to us. As well, they are seeing other base metal assets come their way. And when those are not appropriate for them, which normally wouldn't be since they're mostly gold focused, uh, that can also get sent over to us. And so, now, John has his work cut out for him since he he does have to filter through a lot of different projects. But I wouldn't say we're we're rushing to to buy anything right now. I mean, everybody's kind of settling to see where, where the gold price um, heads in in the longer term. Uh, but I'd say on the copper side and zinc side, I don't think there's any any concerns that uh, it's going to drop too much from where it is now. Well, let's move on to South Mountain here. The PEA is slated for September, a few months out. John, can you maybe just talk to a few ballpark expectations of what that study will show? And maybe, given that I believe this is going from PEA to feasibility direct, do you have any rough ballpark on what investors could expect roughly for a CapEx as well? I think the important thing on South Mountain is that, um, you know, we delivered on our sort of uh, target and, and promise, if you will, of uh, doubling the, um, the mineral resource. Uh, from when we, we started on this project in uh, 2019 um, that we announced now a couple of months ago. So that, that gave us, you know, a more than double on the, um, on the inferred resource tonnage uh, increase and uh, over 20% increase on the uh, measured and indicated through that, um, you know, well-defined underground drilling. And the important thing of that really is it's proved to, um, proved to us all that we can extend these high-grade bodies um, down at depth. Uh, both down down dip and and down plunge of the mineralization, and it really looks geologically that we're we're potentially right on the on the top of a of a big system here. Nonetheless, uh, as you said, we're we're focusing on the current mineral resource, which is in the uh, one million ton um, range at this point in time. But high grade high grade mineralization, both in terms of of zinc and uh, silver specifically, and that we building the PEA study. Uh, and that will guide us as to what uh, a feasibility study will look like. I think it's it's going to be important to bear in mind whatever the exact numbers that come out of that uh, PEA study in terms of the um, MPV and IRR of the project. We will know that we can expand that resource incrementally over over time. Um, so you know we're looking at getting that startup mining operation going. Probably capital cost could be in the uh, 40 to 50 million dollar range. Um, that might well see us uh, being re-rated in terms of we will become a, um, a metal producer and actually about 40 to 50 percent of the value of this um, mineralization is already tied up in, uh, in the precious metals, both in the terms of, uh, of the gold and silver content. So I think it's a project that can only improve on us over time as we do more drilling, but it's a question of uh, drawing a line in the sand, if you will, designing that startup mining operation, get ourselves into production, producing a concentrate, 
um, and that will truly put us in the um, in the production environment. So then we will be doing um, high quality exploration. We will still have other development opportunities on the South Mountain project itself and, and hopefully elsewhere. Uh, and we will be producing metal in uh, concentrate. John, talk just briefly about the time frame here. Give us a look, you know, two to three years out on this project. Could we see the production and so forth happen? And then obviously we know that the project's probably going to be expanded between PEA and feasibility study. But then also one other thing with the time frame, can you just add what's your expectation on recoveries of these metals? Sure. So where we are at the moment, um, you know, PEA um, in, in September this year, we will probably then go through a phase of uh, detailed planning uh, of a feasibility study based on the results of that uh, and guidance of from that PEA study. Um, we know we've got some um, pretty solid uh, historical metallurgical test work results already. And right now we're working with SGS Lakefield on uh, refining and uh, reproducing that test work uh, right now to go into the PEA study. Um, we don't anticipate um, any problems there. In fact, we probably see upside in that metallurgical work. It will be a fairly focused feasibility study because of the nature of this mineralization and our sort of startup tonnage uh, that we require at these grades. So we're dealing with very high, you know, uh, in situ rock values here. So that's the advantage of this project that will get us into a construction decision. And of course, we're sitting on a property here on private land, effectively permitted to a um, construction decision. You know, this will be an interesting project in, in the next 18 months, two years time. We could, uh, we could well be uh, moving forward with this project and uh, getting ourselves into construction here. Do you guys see cash flows by late 2023? Is that a fair estimation? Difficult to predict, really. I mean, because of the startup scale of the mineralization, the build time on the, on the mine wouldn't be, wouldn't be that long given further favorable technical results. So not impossible, but really difficult to determine exactly when we would be in a, in a cash flowing situation. But as mining projects go, certainly on the shorter end of, uh, of a lead time to, um, to cash flow. Yeah, I think the cash flow is an important component here because then that, of course, sets you up to, to fund pipeline. And so looking forward to seeing the efforts on this. I think this one's very important to the company. Let's talk ESG efforts for a moment, if you will. What work is being done on this front to prove up company efforts on ESG and then also to prove up to those groups who have placed ESG mandates as a primary criteria for their investment decisions? Well, we kind of use... Uh... B2 Gold is kind of the template, I guess, or the the, the, the bar for us when we look at you know, how we operate in, in various countries. John has a, a lot of experience working in Zambia, obviously, and has, has good relationships with the service providers, the communities there. And he's spent a, a number of years uh, operating in Zambia, as has our joint venture partner down there. And we also have JogMec involved with us, so they're, they're going to always expect a pretty high standard for us when, when operating with communities and, and making sure that we're abiding by the, the environmental rules and regulations. So we, we, we're very cognizant of that. Um, I don't think, uh, I mean, in South Mountain, it's, it's very similar. I mean, fortunately for us, because South Mountain is quite high grade and has a relatively small footprint since it's underground, um, it really makes things a lot easier for us to to maintain kind of all the environmental and health and safety type of standards there. 
you know, recently we had to obviously change some of our procedures, but I mean, we've, we haven't had any uh, incidents. We haven't had any lost time or any significant lost time at any of our projects. So we've really been, I think, uh, operating very well. So yeah, I would say that, uh, that, that really, if you, if you follow in the footsteps of what B2 is doing, you can't really go too wrong. I mean, they're already operating in some pretty challenging jurisdictions and I'd say have done them very, very well. So yeah, I think that uh, that bodes well for us too. And I understand that, you know, obviously ESG efforts given the company size are, are gonna be proportionate to what you guys can do, of course, and that'll ramp up over time. Let's finish up here, guys. John, maybe just look out here for us. Give me just a uh, critical path outlook for the company here. It appears that all three of these projects are basically going to be advanced in parallel. Can you just kind of give us a, a quick sequence here? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, as you mentioned earlier, the um, the South Mountain project is obviously the more advanced asset. Uh, once we've got that PEA under our belts, that has a relatively short uh, timeline to um, to development and uh, potentially uh, production, giving, giving further positive technical results, but all points towards that at this point in time. Um, also, the nature of the exploration in Japan, although we need some, uh, you know, uh, significant drilling uh, success over time there, but we're working from already, uh, certainly in, in a number of cases, what we would call advanced exploration properties, where we already have, you know, uh, significant mineralization, high-grade gold intersections uh, at relatively shallow depths. So that is something that could be fast-tracked towards a deposit specifically at Cato in a relatively short timeline as well. And then running in parallel with that, you know, the sort of more tier one focused exploration that we're running out in uh, in Zambia, you know, partnered uh, and sharing some risk on that with, uh, with Jogmec now is sort of an ideal sort of, um, you know, mix of projects at this, at this point in time, you know, and exposes investors to both that sort of sequential mind building sort of steps that will come from South Mountain and, and potentially Japan in good time. Um, and then also potentially that big win through a discovery in a world-class terrain like the Zambian Copper Belt. Gentlemen, wrapping up here for potential investors who are on the sidelines listening in the audience, market cap of the company stands at about 64 million Canadian dollars here. What would you say to them at this stage and at current price levels? Why should they consider B metals now? There's no question at the current price levels, you know, this is a really good uh, buying opportunity. It's been a bit of retrace in general commodities, as, you, as you're well aware at, at this point. There's good uh, near-term catalysts for growth uh, coming out of all three projects, really, and, and, uh, and adding value. And it's really the depth of uh, experience and, you know, the knowledge of the team in progressing both exploration, development and running operations in very challenging jurisdictions across the world. You know, you've got a good way of being exposed to the upside of these projects and potentially new additions uh, in good time. But knowing that the company is being uh, sort of guided, built and run by some of the top discoverers and operators in the mineral business over, over many decades. A fair proposal. Derek, what do you think? Yeah, in particular, this week has been kind of a, a really good opportunity because, uh, like I said earlier, we had a, an aggressive seller that was in, stepping into the market. And because we have, well, we have traditionally had relatively low uh, trading volumes, uh, it made it a little bit tougher, but I can see that the volumes are increasing and we are seeing the buying coming in. I would just add that because we are starting to uh, speak more with some of the key B2 gold investors, once those 
generalist type of funds or larger funds start to step in, I think these prices are going to look pretty cheap. And, and that's why Glive and myself and others have been buying in the open market. So uh, it's a good time. It's actually an excellent time to be getting in right now. And Derek, uh, best way for investors to reach out to the company? Uh, just reach out to me. Uh, you can. The easiest email address is info at bmetalscorp.com or else you can just go to our website, which is just bmetalscorp.com. John, Derek, it's good to chat. Looking forward to continued progress to build this company. You guys uh, keep up the efforts and let's stay in touch. Andrew, thanks good. for your support. Thanks very much, yeah. Andrew.